Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our Sunday School class as we consider uh, this book, The Israel of God. This is Lesson 8, the last Sunday School class of 2023. And uh, this is a good study we have before us. Um, I will say this chapter that we're beginning to cover, it's, it's a very long chapter. This is kind of a challenging book to outline and to present to you in the Sunday School format just because... Uh, some of these chapters are very long, and some of the arguments are rather complex, but I think uh, we can uh, track along here. Um, before we open a word of prayer, I thought I would just remind you of where we've been in this study. We've been talking about Israel, the Israel of God, considering the land of Israel, the people of Israel, the worship of Israel, the lifestyle of Israel. Uh, here in this lesson, we are going to consider the Israel of God and the coming of the kingdom. So we're going to be asking the question, uh, how, should we, how should we think of the future of Israel in relation to this, this doctrine of the, the coming of the kingdom of God? A very helpful concept here. Hopefully things will become clear as we go. Let's bow together for a word of prayer first. Uh, Father in heaven, I do pray that you would give us clarity of mind as we open up the Holy Scriptures in this systematic way to ask this question, who is the Israel of God and what is her future, I pray that you would give us understanding, O Lord. I pray that this study would continue to be not only enlightening to us intellectually, but also that it would be applied by us, that we as the Israel of God under this new covenant era would live as your people, as you have called us to live. Uh, that we would cling to Christ, that we would worship you as you have called us to worship, and that we would walk in a worthy manner before you. Help us, O Lord, in these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so let's overview, begin to overview chapter 5, The Israel of God and the Coming of the Kingdom. We'll only make it uh, up to page 121. So 111 to 121 are the pages that we're covering uh, Robertson begins by saying that naturally great interest centers today on the question of the future of Israel. Um, I suppose this has been true ever since Israel uh, became a nation again in 1948. Uh, and it kind of goes in spurts. People, their interest in Israel and in the future of Israel uh, will really peak from time to time. Robertson does acknowledge that in an almost miraculous way, this community of people has survived down through the centuries. So he's referring now to modern Israel, of course, uh, the nation of Israel, ethnic Israel. But what is the future of Israel and the plan of God? Uh, that is a, a really great, great question. What is the future of Israel in the plan of God? What does Scripture reveal about His long-term purpose for the Jews? Uh, we cannot allow uh, historical events to dictate our theological perspectives, uh, brothers and sisters. Do you know what I mean by that? Uh, the fact is, Israel came back into the land in some way in 1948 and is a nation now. Uh, that is a historical fact, but we cannot allow that historical event to dictate our view of what God's plan for Israel is and what the future uh, of Israel will be. Uh, we have to go to the Word of God to understand these things. Robertson goes on a little bit later to say, If Israel is to survive forever as a nation, and he means this forever, eternally, as a nation, it must be shown to have a distinctive connection with the eternal kingdom of God. Otherwise, it may be expected to perish as all other nations have perished in due time. Do you understand his point here? It's a very... 
it should be obvious to us, but it's a very good point. Um, what, which, um, which people will last forever and ever? Uh, as Christians, we should say, uh, it is those who are united to Christ by faith who will abide in God's presence as His people forever and ever in the new heavens and new earth. You know, um, but the nations of this world, uh, the United States of America, uh, Israel, Nicaragua, I don't know, I'm just picking nations out, these will, all, these will all come to an end. They may come to an end before Christ returns. That happens. Nations, they rise and they fall. But certainly they will all reach their conclusion at the return of Christ when He returns to make all things new and to judge. Uh, then all of the nations of the earth will come to nothing and the people that will be ushered into the new heavens and earth to enjoy the presence of God forever and ever will be uh, to use the language of our study, the true Israel of God. And so Robertson is making that, that simple but very profound observation that if Israel is to survive forever as a nation, it must be shown to have some distinctive connection with the eternal kingdom of God. Otherwise, it may be expected to perish as all other nations have perished in due time. In considering the future of the Israel of God and God's plan, two subjects in particular should be considered. One in these one of these issues is broad in its scope, and the other is very specific. One issue has to do with the place of the Israel of God in the coming of the kingdom, which will be examined in this chapter. So the question is, what is the relationship between Israel and the coming kingdom? The other issue focuses on the future of the Jews, as is set forth in Romans chapter 11, which will be explored in the next chapter by carefully analyzing these issues, further insight may be gained into the future of the Israel of God. And so this chapter is very long. It's very broad in its perspective. It's really asking the, connection, asking the question, what is the connection between Israel and, and the coming kingdom of God? Um, the other is narrow. We'll look specifically at Romans chapter 11, which is a very important text. That chapter is very helpful, I think. We'll come to it in due time. C. Clarity on the question of Israel and the coming of the kingdom hinges on preciseness of definition. The terms Israel and kingdom of God must be analyzed carefully. Then some affirmations may be ventured regarding the relationship between Israel and the coming of the eternal kingdom of God. Uh, here, stated succinctly, Robertson is just making the point that it's important to define terms. Oftentimes people have disagreements with one another because uh, they're using the same words but in different ways. And so it is important to define terms as we talk about issues. Uh, first of all, let's talk about the kingdom of God. He acknowledges, Robertson does on page 112, that God has exercised His sovereignty over all things from the beginning of creation. He is the king of the universe, and His kingdom embraces the whole of reality. So God is king over all. We, we can acknowledge that, right? Um, so He is the sovereign Lord of all things. Point two, it is not only the rise and fall of nations that is determined by God's sovereign will, even the hairs of every human head are numbered by the Almighty, Matthew 10.30. His kingdom is over all and shall never fall. Uh, this is a very important observation. God is the sovereign Lord. He is sovereign over all things. Point three, but with the all-encompassing realm of God's sovereignty, a more specific manifestation of His authority is displayed in the kingdom of His Messiah. 
Although the sovereignty of God has been manifested quite clearly throughout the preceding ages, it came to a focal point with the coming of the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. So if I were to ask you the question, where is God's kingdom? Where is it? Where is it manifest? How would you answer that question? And from what you just heard, you you could probably answer it in two ways. How would you answer the question, where is God's kingdom? In heaven? Okay. God rules and reigns in heaven. Where is His kingdom on earth? In the church. Okay, so that is the kingdom of God narrowly focused. The the kingdom of the Messiah is manifest in the church. And we might also say there is a sense in which God is king overall. He is the sovereign Lord. But when we talk about the kingdom of God, when we talk about the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of the Messiah, we are really thinking about the church. It is the, 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 the community of the redeemed who have faith in the Messiah. They are united to Him by faith. They have Jesus as Lord. Uh, that is where the kingdom of God is manifest. Point four, as the drama of His coming into the world unfolded, Jesus made it plain that the Messianic kingdom was to be realized in two stages. Uh, this is such an important concept. You probably picked up on this. Uh, if you've been here at Emmaus for any amount of time, you've picked up upon this in my, my preaching. Uh, the the, the kingdom was realized in two stages. First, the Son of Man must be betrayed, rejected, beaten, crucified, and raised from the dead, Matthew 16, 17, Luke 18, etc. But then the same Son of Man will come again in glory with all the holy angels seated at the right hand of God in a position of power. He will judge the nations. So there is a, a twofold coming of the kingdom. When was the kingdom of God present with power? When was it inaugurated? That's language I often use. When was the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, inaugurated? When did it begin? At Christ's first coming. And how was it inaugurated? Through the suffering of Christ, through the cross of Christ, through His resurrection. And the kingdom is present now in the church, but the church is a sojourning people, a suffering people. Uh, So the kingdom is here and we are citizens of it, but we await the next stage of the coming of the kingdom, don't we? And when will that next stage of the coming of the kingdom uh, come into being? At the second coming of Christ. Then Christ will not come as a suffering king, but He will come in glory. He will come with power. He will come to judge the nations, to conquer everything, and to to usher in His eternal kingdom. To use uh, language that should now be familiar to you, the kingdom has been inaugurated. It will one day be consummated. So there are these two stages to the coming of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of the Messiah. Five, this twofold coming of the kingdom of the Messiah is constantly spoken of throughout the documents of the New Covenant. And then I just have a dot, dot, dot there. Um, Robertson does take quite a bit of time in his his chapter to give some examples of this from the New Testament. Uh, Some examples of this teaching concerning the twofold coming of the kingdom of the Messiah. And for the sake of space and time, I've, I've left it out. And, and, and again, I say these concepts should be pretty familiar to you if you've been at Emmaus for any amount of time. Point six. So the kingdom of God comes through the person of the Messiah, but the world should not be surprised at the humbleness of the first stage of its realization, nor should the world stop looking for this kingdom's glorious consummation just because of a long delay in its realization. Um, I included that quote because I thought it was so good. 
Uh, we should not be surprised at the humbleness of the first stage, nor should we stop looking for the kingdom's glorious consummation. We should live with a sense of expectation that the Lord could return at any time, and we should live with this attitude, Lord Jesus, come quickly. We long for the consummation of all things. Point seven, under the kingdom of God, but what is the role of Israel in the coming of the Messianic kingdom? What is the role of Israel in the coming of the Messianic kingdom? Before this question can be reasonably answered, Israel must be defined. And this term has various meanings, each of which is connected in its own way with the coming of the kingdom. The term Israel may refer to a place, a person, or a people. And that is what uh, Robertson is going to turn his attention to now, is the term Israel. But before we go there, can you see his argument? He's saying that the kingdom of God is present now. It has been inaugurated. This same kingdom, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Messiah, will be brought to a consummation. And a very important question for us to ask is, how is Israel connected to this kingdom if it is connected to this kingdom truly, this eternal kingdom, this kingdom of God, uh, then Israel will last forever and ever. But if it, if it is not connected to this kingdom of the Messiah, truly, then we should view Israel as a nation, as, as all of the other nations of the earth. Israel will one day come to an end, either in time or at the return of Christ. Uh, if it is not connected truly to the kingdom of the Messiah, then, then Israel as a nation is like all of the other nations of the earth. It is a common nation, like the United States of America, like Canada, like South Korea, whatever the nation may be. Uh, these nations, you will note, they are common nations. They do not have any real connection with the Messiah or with the Messiah's kingdom. Uh, because after all, how do we come to be connected with the Messiah and the Messiah's kingdom. It is through faith in Him, is it not? It is through faith in Him. So I hope you could see the argument that Robertson is making. I think it's a very important one. Now let's move on to look at the term Israel. And I'm glad that he notes this. The term Israel is used in many different ways in the Scriptures. So we have to be careful with this term and understand how it is being used in different contexts. Israel, as a place, Israel is the promised land. So sometimes the word is used to refer to a place. It is the promised land. This locale first came to the fore with the everlasting covenant that God made with Abraham. The place called Israel has a significant role to play in the coming of the Messianic kingdom. Since the gospel of the kingdom was first proclaimed there, to this place and to no other did the Messiah king come, and in this place, the sovereign spirit of the Messiah was first poured out on human flesh. So sometimes we use the word Israel to refer to a place. And we should acknowledge that the place, Israel, has played a very important role in the coming of God's kingdom. Abraham was promised this land in the days of Joshua. The land was taken possession of so that those promises given to Abraham were fulfilled in the, day of Josh, the days of Joshua and it was in this place that the Messiah was brought into the world. And so it is a very significant place. Historically, the term Israel first designated the person of Jacob. Uh, Jacob was also called Israel. Uh, and here we are referring to Jacob, the son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham. This patriarch 
contained in his person all the subsequent generations of the covenant people of God. So from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who was renamed Israel, uh, a very special people did descend. They were the old covenant people of God, the descendants of Abraham according to the flesh. It was with this people, this group of people that descended from Jacob, uh, that uh, the old Mosaic covenant was made. And it was to this people that this land was eventually given under the old covenant. So Israel can refer to a place. It could also refer to a person, namely Jacob. Or it could also refer to the people who descended from Jacob, that is the nation of Israel. Um, and they do still exist to this present day. Point three, ultimately and in an even more significant way, God's Israel found its embodiment in the Christ of God. That's a very important point. If I were to ask you the question, who is Israel? You're beginning to see that you can answer that question in, in different ways. Who is Israel? Oh, Jacob is Israel. The people who descended from Jacob, uh, they are Israel. But we may also say that Christ is Israel. How so? How is Christ Israel? Any thoughts on that? Head of the church, okay. Well, what I'm thinking of here, and I don't know that Robertson takes much time to explain this, but do you remember that it was promised uh, to, to Abraham that he would have a son and that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed? Do you remember that? Uh, who was Abraham's son? That could be answered in two ways. Isaac was Abraham's son. But was Isaac really the son that was promised to Abraham, really and truly? He was, in a way. But really, the son of Abraham that we were all expecting and waiting for is who? Jesus. And so you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who is Israel. But who is the true Israel of God? Who is the true son of Abraham through whom the nations of the earth will be blessed? Jesus is. So who is Israel? It is not wrong to say Jesus is Israel. Jesus is Israel because He is the fulfillment of all of these prophecies and promises that are contained in the Old Testament. Does that make sense? And you will notice that that's how the New Testament begins. Uh, th this is a very biblical way of speaking. Here's the genealogy of Jesus Christ that begins in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And how is Jesus introduced to us? He is the son of Abraham. He is the son of David. We could do the same thing with David, by the way. David was promised a son. And who was David's son? Two answers. Solomon was. But is he, is he really, was Solomon really the son of David that we were looking forward to? The one who would establish an everlasting kingdom? We would say, well, no. The scriptures are quite clear that Solomon fell flat on his face, didn't he? He was not faithful. He was not faithful even in the way that David was. So the son of David is, is, is Jesus. Uh, the son of Abraham is Jesus. Uh, Jesus is, uh, in a sense, the Israel of God who fulfilled all of these promises previously given. So Israel may designate a place or a person, but in addition the term may refer to a community of people viewed from a variety of perspectives. And we've already mentioned uh, one of these. Uh, first of all, Israel may refer to the community of people, that is to say, the ethnic descendants of Abraham, together with 
uh, the converted Gentiles. Uh, these can be designated the Israel of God, and this is the way uh, that uh, the New Testament speaks of Israel. Uh, the true Israel of God is, is not an ethnic people, but it is those who have those who have the faith of Abraham. B, it can refer to the chosen remnant from within this people. Uh, these might also be designated the Israel of God, distinct from the rest of the nation. See Romans 9, 6. Uh, from a new covenant perspective, see the Israel of God could more inclusively be the body of Jews and Gentiles who believe in Jesus. I think I kind of didn't explain point A very well here. Um, Forgive me for that. In fact, I don't even know if this is correct the way that it's stated in the outline, so you might need to check it with, against uh, Robertson's book. But from a New Covenant perspective, the Israel of God could more inclusively be the body of Jews and Gentiles who believe in Jesus. Uh, and here Robertson is citing Galatians 6.16 where the phrase Israel of God is applied to the church, that is to say all who believe from within, within ethnic Israel and all who believe from amongst the Gentiles. And then D, in contemporary parlance, the Jewish state is called Israel. And so if you were to say Israel today out on the streets, what would most people think of? Uh, they would think of the nation of Israel, the Jewish state as it exists today. And so the, king, the, the word Israel, the term, can be used in all of these ways. These various groups are quite differently related to the coming of the Messianic kingdom, aren't they? And a more detailed examination of the biblical testimony concerning the coming of the kingdom should provide a proper framework within, within which to understand these relationships. So, the word Israel can be used in many different ways. And um, in each of these ways, there's a different relationship that exists as it pertains to the relationship to the eternal kingdom of God. Uh, maybe I can just run through this real quick with you and, and quiz you. Um, if we are referring to Jacob, that is to say Israel, uh, if we are referring to him, it, was he connected to the eternal kingdom of God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Was Jacob as an individual connected to the eternal kingdom of God? You're thinking this is a tricky question. John, you're shaking your head yes, and so I'm going to, I'm going to acknowledge that because I think your answer is right. Um, any ideas on how Jacob was connected to the eternal kingdom of God? Jacob is an individual. By faith. By faith. By faith. Do you expect to see Jacob in heaven? Why? <laughs> because of his ethnicity? Because of his physical descent from Abraham and Isaac? No. Why? Faith. Faith. So Jacob was connected to the eternal kingdom of God. Uh, what about all who descended from Jacob or Israel? Uh, so Israel considered as a, as a community. Uh, this is a bit of a trickier question in some ways, but was that group of people connected to the eternal kingdom of God? Or are they presently? Some? Some? Yeah. Okay. How so? Some believed. Some believed. Sometimes that remnant within Old Covenant Israel, that group of people that descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was very small. Some were only connected to the kingdom of God in an earthly and typological way, but not to the eternal kingdom of God. Why? Because they did not believe in the promises of God concerning the Messiah. Uh, they, they remained in unbelief. Um, what about if we use the term Israel of God in reference to the new covenant people of God? 
that is to say, all from amongst the ethnic Jews and all from amongst the ethnic Gentiles who believe this question is easy to answer. Is this group connected to the eternal kingdom of God? Yes. Again, the issue here is, is faith. Now, what if I were to ask you another question that should be very easy to answer? What about modern Israel? What about that nation state that exists even now? Is this entity connected to the eternal kingdom of God? In no way. In no way. Um, there might be some within that nation, I'm sure there are, thanks be to God, who are connected to the eternal kingdom of God because they believe in Jesus the Messiah. But as a nation, as a nation and as an ethnic group, there is no connection to the eternal kingdom of God necessarily for many within that nation and many within that ethnic group have no faith at all in Jesus the Messiah. Okay, So you see the argument that Robertson is attempting to make here. In the remainder of this chapter, and it is a long chapter, we're only going to get a little way into it uh, today, Robertson is going to walk us through uh, the New Testament to look at how the term Israel is used in relation to the kingdom of God. And he begins by looking at the uh, synoptic gospels. Let me start actually by reading point A here under three affirmations concerning the relation of Israel to the coming of the kingdom. Point A, extensive investigation has been made of the teaching of Jesus regarding the coming of the kingdom. According to Jesus, the kingdom of the Messiah exists now and is yet to come. Jesus rules as the Messiah. Jesus' rule as the Messiah is proved to have begun if by the finger of God He repels the power of the devil. That is a reference to Luke 8, 11, 20. And actually, I think I referenced this text in the sermon this morning, so it's kind of timely. It's, it's on point here. Uh, what is the point that Robertson is making? Jesus cast out demons in His earthly ministry. And what did He say that was a proof or demonstration of in His earthly ministry? Consistently, He says, He did this as, as a demonstration that the kingdom of God was now present with power. God's kingdom was in breaking into human history. It was being established. It was being inaugurated. Be, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Satan's kingdom simultaneously was being destroyed by Jesus, the King of the kingdom of God. So that is what Robertson is noting, noting here. At the same time, Jesus is teaching, Jesus teaches that His kingdom is yet to come in its fullness. One day in the future, the Son of Man will come in glory with the holy angels. That is to consummate the kingdom. But what precisely is the relation of Israel to this twofold coming of the kingdom? As, a matter, as this matter is considered, the various meanings of the term Israel, as previously discussed, must be kept in mind. So first he deals with Israel and the coming of the kingdom in the Synoptic Gospels, and we'll only make it through this brief section in the remainder of our time together. The opening chapters of the life and ministry of Jesus relate the coming of the kingdom to the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. Uh, by the way, the Synoptic Gospels, does anyone want to say what those are? What are the Synoptic Gospels? Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is kind of unique. It's distinct, right? And so the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're similar. Uh, and so whenever you hear that term, think of those three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And John is often 
um, acknowledged to be somewhat unique as a gospel. It's of a different style. But his point is that in the opening chapters of the life and ministry of Jesus, um, the, His coming and the coming of His kingdom is shown to be in fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. Do you remember the opening chapters of Luke? We, we were studying them not very long ago. And in fact, we read large portions of Luke's gospel in that Christmas Eve service that we enjoyed uh, not too long ago. Uh, but remember how, how Luke presents Jesus to us. He's, he's just showing us in so many different ways that this Jesus was born into the world in fulfillment to all of these promises previously made. It's really wonderful. And the Gospel of Matthew does the same thing very powerfully. So the inbreaking of the Messianic Kingdom began with a special focus on Israel. Uh, Jesus is coming into the world was in fulfillment to promises made to Israel. And He came into the world to bless Israel and to redeem Israel. Does that terminology sound familiar to you? That's the way the New Testament speaks. This is Israel's Messiah. He came into the world in fulfillment to promises made to Israel and in order to redeem Israel. Um, think of the way that term is used. Who did Christ redeem, brothers and sisters? Who did Christ redeem? The elect. But the term Israel is used to refer to the elect. So to say that the church is Israel is deeply biblical. This is the way the Bible talks. Christ came to redeem Israel, to bless His people Israel. But the word is being used to refer to those of faith from amongst the Jews and Gentiles. The elect of God. They are the Israel of God. They are those who are united to Israel's Messiah by faith. Mary declares that God has re remembered to be merciful to Israel, His child, Luke 1.54. In a similar way, the aged Simeon is described as waiting for the consolation of Israel. Who will be consoled by the Messiah? Who will be comforted by the Messiah? According to Simeon, it is Israel who will be consoled and who has been consoled by the Messiah, brothers and sisters. All who have faith in Israel's Messiah. When he set, sets his eyes on Jesus at the time of the child's dedication of the temple, Simeon identifies him as a light of revelation for the nations and the glory of your people Israel. And so even in these introductory chapters of the Gospel of Luke, we, we see that this terminology of Israel is being picked up. It is being used. And yet we know that Christ came to redeem not an entire ethnic people, but people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, all who have faith in Him. Point E, it should also be noted that the coming of the Messiah will by no means prove to be beneficial only to Israel. He is named initially as a light of revelation for the nations in accordance with the promise as it was first given to Abraham. In Him all the nations will be blessed. So you can see this clearly in the Synoptic Gospels. I think Luke's Gospel is particularly powerful and beautiful in this regard. Uh, this Jesus, He is Israel's Messiah, and He is also portrayed as being the one who will be a light to the nations. And this is nothing new. This promise was even made to Abraham as God called him to leave his homeland and to go to a land uh, that he would eventually possess through his descendants. This is nothing new. The beginning of Jesus' ministry indicates the ongoing role of Israel in the kingdom of the Messiah. The designation of exactly 12 disciples shows that Jesus intends to reconstitute the Israel of God through His ministry. 
He is not, as some suppose, replacing Israel with the church, but He is reconstituting Israel in a way that makes it suitable for the ministry of the new covenant. That's a great statement. Point F there is really a great statement. Um, again, I, I'll, I'll talk about the twelve apostles today in the sermon from Luke 9. And I do make the point that the number twelve is of obvious significance. Why twelve apostles? Why twelve of them? Well, obviously there is a there's something corresponding to the twelve tribes of Israel. These twelve apostles are, are, are a kind of new, the foundation for a kind of new Israel. It's not that the church replaces Israel as, as if God is just wiping away the old and starting something new. But Israel is clearly being, to use Robertson's language, reconstituted here. And it's being reconstituted in such a way so as to make this Israel suitable for the new covenant. Does anyone want to try to unpack that little statement there? Israel is being reconstituted, but in such a way that the Israel of God is made suitable for the new covenant or the terms of the new covenant. Anyone want to give a, a, a crack at that? Types and shadows and fulfillment, okay. It's true. Okay, doing away with the old and external kind of rituals and, and reconstituting Israel, which, which is in Israel by faith. Chad? Um, as opposed to the old covenant, the new covenant is a covenant that God makes with anybody, anywhere. Okay, the old covenant was confined to a particular people living in a particular place. The new covenant is going to be made with people throughout the earth. The one great distinction between the Old Covenant and the New is that all who are partakers of the New Covenant, they know the Lord. They have faith. Whereas the Old Covenant was made with people, many of whom did not have faith, but they were an ethnic people who descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those twelve tribes of Israel were made up of many people who had no faith in the, in, in the promised Messiah at all. And so the Old Covenant was, was a kind of mixed covenant. It, it contained the promises of God. It carried the promises of God within it. Many within that covenant did believe in the promises of God, but many did not. All who were born from Abraham, according to the flesh, were rightly a part of that, that Old Covenant. So it was a mixed covenant. There were believers and non-believers in it. But the New Covenant is different. And Jeremiah chapter 31 says that it is going to be different. It's going to be a new covenant, not like the old one. It's going to be a new one. And here, here it is. Everyone in this covenant will, will know the Lord. They will know the Lord. Um, that is not, that's not to say that the church will not have non-believers in her midst. But it is to say that every true member of the new covenant knows the Lord through faith in the promised Messiah, you see. And I think that's what Robertson is getting at here. He's saying that this is a reconstituted Israel, and it's one that is suitable for the new covenant. The Israel of God is no longer this mixed group of believers and non-believers, but the Israel of God under the new covenant, uh, they are those who have faith, faith in the promised Messiah. They, the Israel of God under the new covenant is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ as the cornerstone. What does that mean except that 
this new covenant temple. It's not like the old one. It, it consists of those who are aligned with the apostles and prophets and with Christ Himself. So, the same term may be used under the new covenant. We may refer to the people of God as the Israel of God, but it's a different Israel than the old one. It's a reconstituted Israel. It's an Israel of faith. It's not a, an Israel that's marked off merely by genealogical descent. It's about faith, having the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the faith of the apostles, the faith of the, the prophets, faith in Christ who is our, our cornerstone. Uh, a wonderful statement there, I think, under point F. Let's uh, move on, point G, from this point on. It is not that the church takes the place of Israel, but that a renewed Israel of God is being formed by the shaping of the church. This kingdom will reach beyond the limits of the Israel of the Old Covenant. H. This principle is demonstrated by the salvation that comes to the Roman centurion at Capernaum. Because of the faith of this Gentile, Jesus heals his servant without going to his house. All he has to do is say the word. Jesus' response is categorical. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. There, the word Israel is being referred to as uh, used in reference to ethnic Israel, of course. This Gentile's uh, faith is more than sufficient to make him a recipient of the healing powers of the Messiah. Have you noticed this in our study of the Gospel of Luke? I've tried to point it out to you. How often emphasis is placed upon Jesus blessing Gentiles and blessing the nation. He is a light to the Gentiles, a light to the nations. And this story about the centurion is really a powerful one. Uh, Jesus' comment, I have not found anyone in Israel, that is to say in ethnic Israel, with such great faith. I, a tragic climax to Israel's relationship with the Messiah is reached in the payoff made by the Jewish leaders to Judas Matthew sees the betrayal money as the price that the Jews were willing to pay to rid themselves of their shepherd. The solemn consequences of his rejection find expression in uh, the words of Jesus, The kingdom shall be taken away from you and given to a people bearing the fruit of it. Israel as a nation would no more be able to claim that they possess the kingdom of God in a way that was distinct from other nations. Did you, did you catch what is said there in Matthew 21.43? Uh, Jesus says to the ethnic Jews, to Israel as the old covenant people of God as a nation, the kingdom shall be taken away from you and given to a people bearing the fruit of it. He's saying that the kingdom is going to belong not to you as an ethnic people any longer. It is going to belong to the nations. It's going to belong to those who bear fruit. In other words, who have faith and bear the fruit of, of faith and repentance. It's so explicit, isn't it? It is going to be these who bear the fruit of faith and repentance who are going to be citizens in God's kingdom from that day forward under this new covenant era. Um, by the way, I made the comment, well, I've made the comment many times that the kingdom of God came with power for the very first time at Jesus' first coming. But here Christ says to the Jews, the old covenant people of God, the kingdom is going to be taken away from you as if they possessed it. How did the old covenant people of God, how were they connected to the, the kingdom of God? We've already said that some of them had faith and therefore were connected to the eternal kingdom by faith in, in the promised Messiah. But how was the whole old covenant people connected to the kingdom of God? 
Through the laws, okay. The Mosaic laws. Through birth, okay. Through circumcision. Yes, and the thing I'm wanting to draw your attention to is that the kingdom of God was present on earth prior to Christ's coming, but only in a typological way. Do you remember the word that I often use, that the kingdom was prefigured in Old Covenant Israel? So it was. On earth there was a place, and there was a people, and there was a temple, and there was the Shekinah glory of God that filled the temple. Uh, There was a priesthood through which the people of God approached God. Uh, There were all of those things, but these were earthly pictures, earthly types, earthly shadows which awaited fulfillment in, in, in reality. So the kingdom was present in a pictorial sort of way, in a typological way. Um, remember my terms, the kingdom was first offered and then forfeited, promised, prefigured, inaugurated, and it will be consummated. And so in that sense, the kingdom was present on earth in that typological way under the Old Covenant in the form of types and shadows that that looked forward. J, yet the people of the New Covenant would still be designated as Israel, the Israel of God. This New Covenant people would be formed around a core of 12 Israelites who were chosen to constitute the ongoing Israel of God. To this core were to be gathered Gentile disciples hailing from the east, west, north, and south who would take their places in the kingdom of God. With this purpose in mind, the risen Christ issues His great commission. He has all authority in heaven and earth as the Messianic King. With that authority, He commissions His disciples to go into all the world and to make disciples of all the nations. A wonderful statement here as well. So, If I were to ask you the question, is Israel connected in any way, shape, or form to the eternal kingdom of God, what would you say? What do you mean by Israel? Thank you. There you go. That's the right answer. Yes, if by Israel you mean those who have faith in Israel's Messiah, the Israel of God in this new covenant sense, then yes, Israel is connected to the eternal kingdom of God, and Israel will last forever and ever. Israel will never come to an end. Uh, it, it's, it, it, I could ask the very same question of, of David and of his kingship. Will David, King David of the Old Covenant, will King David's throne, will it last forever and ever. Is it still present in the world today? And will it last forever and ever? What would you say? Yes. And then you would say, yes, look at 1948. No, you wouldn't say that? No? Okay, why not? Because that nation has no faith in, in, in the Messiah. There's no connection to, to, to the Messiah there. Some believe in the Messiah, but there's no connection with that nation of the Messiah. So will David's kingdom, will his throne last forever and ever? Yes. How so? Christ. Through Christ. The son of David. He is the one who has inaugurated God's kingdom. He, he sits on the throne even now he ascended and sat down at the Father's right hand. And he will come again to judge and to rule forever and ever. 
to consummate His kingdom. Yes, you understand how this works. There's so many different themes that you could point to, by the way. Um, the, the temple will last forever and ever. Isn't that beautiful? And it, It's present now, and it will be present in the new heavens and earth. Not a temple of stone, but living stones now, and um, the glory of God filling all. The new heavens and new earth. It's, it's wonderful. Okay, a letter K. So in the Synoptic Gospels, the king comes first to Israel. Jesus recognizes the ongoing role of Israel in the formation of the new covenant people of God. The king determines the way in which an ongoing and ongrowing Israel will, will contribute to the kingdom, uh, to the coming of the kingdom, even to its climactic end. Um, we, brothers and sisters, we um, Christians, we need to read the Bible as if we are Christians. <laughs> As if all of these things do find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ and in, through, through our faith in Him. Um, like I said, kind of a difficult chapter to, to outline. We're going to have to uh, remember what we heard today, next week, as we just kind of continue the argument and review. But I do appreciate you allowing me to present all of this to you and, and to um, hopefully encourage you with these words. These are encouraging words. Um, this, this earth is not our home but our hope is in heaven and in the new heavens and new earth where Christ reigns now and where He will rule and reign forever and ever. And He rules over the Israel of God now and He will rule and reign over the Israel of God forever and ever in the new heavens and earth which He has earned by His shed blood and His resurrection from the dead. Uh, let's pray briefly and then we will prepare our hearts for corporate worship. Father, I pray that again you would help us to understand these things. Give us a greater understanding of the Holy Scriptures so that when we pick up and read the Bible from the Old Testament or the New, that we would see Christ and His kingdom there, that we would have clarity of mind. And I pray that it would not only be clarity of mind that we have, but that we would have a greater understanding of our identity in Christ Jesus and of the great redemption that He has accomplished and of all the benefits that come to us through faith in Him. Lord, increase our understanding of these things and make us faithful citizens in your eternal kingdom, O Lord, for your glory, honor, and praise. And all of God's people say, Amen.